Recovery Elevator, episode 132. You know, got me a little more motivated to be like, no, like, I don't like the person I am when I'm super drunk. And if I can't go out to dinner and have one glass of wine, then I'm not going to, I can't do it. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for 35 months and three weeks. On today's podcast, we've got Tori. She's 24 years old from the Florida Gainesville area, and she's been sober for 16 days. Tori, she's still on the fence, whether she's an alcoholic or not. She emailed me, and that was how she led off in her email, and I had to reach out to her and get her on the podcast. Okay, before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. So here I am sitting here on a beautiful Tuesday in September and it, wait, it's not Tuesday, it's uh, it's Thursday. And it's, no, it's not even September, it's August. Damn it, Paul. There's a calendar right to the left of this microphone. How could you possibly get the day wrong? Holy shit, Paul. The day, I maybe I can understand the day. I mean, there's seven of them. There's a lot of them. But the month, there's no snow on the ground. It's freaking hot out. It's not, it's, it's not September. It's August. Jesus Christ, Paul. What the f*** are you thinking? Oh, 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 is that a keyboard in my room? You can't play the keyboard, Paul, because you're a f***ing idiot. What is wrong with you? Paul, I got two words for you. F*** you. Okay, you're probably saying to yourself, whoa, calm it down there, Pablo. What in the hell is going on? Well, that was not real, that uh, that self-diatribe. was all fake for the podcast, but I'm trying to make a point. And that point is, self-loathing is rampant in addiction, and it needs to be addressed and curtailed if we want to find a long-term recovery. Now, it's difficult not to beat ourselves up. To talk trash on our own personas. We can be our own worst critic, and your inner critic could be putting your sobriety at risk. If you beat yourself up over past drinking and then relapse the numb feelings of unworthiness, you know how self criticism can backfire. In fact, a wealth of scientific research says it pays to do the opposite. You gotta be kind to yourself, Recovery Elevator. And Paul, I'm talking to you as well. Now, I've made a lot of progress in this area. I'm not nearly as bad as that episode, that tirade that I just pulled on myself that I did earlier in this podcast episode. But when I was trying to quit drinking, I would just beat the shit out of myself when I couldn't successfully do it. And like I just said, it backfires and no wonder. People who score high in self-compassion are happier. They cope well with stress and have better immune response to stress, says Dr. Kristen Neff, a pioneer in self-compassion research and an associate professor of human development culture at the University of Texas. According to Neff, self-trash talk is a double whammy when we judge ourselves harshly. We are both the attacker and the attacked. 
And hundreds of research studies show that indulging an inner tyrant has a strong negative link to anxiety, depression, and stress. For many people, one of their biggest sources of pain is self-criticism, and they don't even know that they're doing it to themselves. In Kristen Neff's book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, Neff details three core components necessary for self-compassion. Now, by combining these principles, a person can replace demoralizing thoughts that may lead to relapse. They can also begin to squash destructive patterns of fear, negative self-worth, and isolation. To summarize, basically, treat yourself kindly. First, treat yourself as you would a friend you really care about, Neff says. If you're suffering in some way and give yourself kindness and support and don't mercilessly judge yourself like I just did for getting the day of the week and month wrong, then you reduce the negative mind states. But you're also generating a positive state of feeling cared for, supported, and accepted. Research shows that self-compassion helps decrease levels of cortisol, the stress hormone, and stimulates the release of oxytocin, the bonding hormone that helps us feel safe and secure. Another component of self-compassion is acknowledgement that human nature is imperfect and we all fail. Recognizing this shared humanity helps us feel more connected to others rather than being isolated by our suffering. When we fail and make a mistake, remember that this is the human experience, states Neff. Often people think something has gone wrong, terribly wrong when they fail, as if normal is that everything's perfect. So what happens is there's a sense of isolation thinking everyone else is leading these normal, perfect lives. All you need to do to confirm that people mess up is open up the USA Today app or any news app. People mess up. Again, that's why there's erasers on the end of pencils. People mess up. They make mistakes. Let's talk about mindfulness for a second. Self-compassion requires us to relate to our situation with mindful awareness. Rather than ignoring our pain, exaggerating our problems, or constantly battling negative emotions, mindfulness basically says, I see this is really painful right now. It's important that we are aware of the suffering. In order to be kind to ourselves. we must first be aware to it. More on the science behind self-compassion. A published study in the International Journal of Mental Health and Addiction states that compassionate mind states may be learned and may alleviate shame as well as other distressing outcomes such as depression, anxiety, self-attacks, feeling of inferiority, and submissive behavior. If that's not enough science, I got more for you. Similarly, the journal Psychoneuroendocrinology, gotta subscribe to that one, has published a study revealing that all practice of self-compassion can lower the levels of cortisol in the body and increase the body's production and release of oxytocin. Now, this is key. Cortisol is also known as a stress hormone, and excessively high levels can put a person in a fight-or-flight mode, which in turn can trigger drug-seeking behaviors and a possible relapse. Oxytocin, on the other hand, is known as the bliss hormone because it naturally promotes psychological stability and reduces the body's stress response. Because of its myriad effects, oxytocin can help decrease drug and alcohol cravings. Okay, cool, Paul. I need to be kind to myself. How do I do this? Well, here's a quick exercise. Number one, how would you treat a friend? Go ahead and take out a sheet of paper and answer the following questions. First, think about times when a close friend feels really bad about him or herself or is really struggling in some way. How would you respond to your friend in this situation, especially when you are at your best? Write down what you typically would do. What would you say? And note in the tone in which you would say this stuff. If your friend got the day of the week and the month wrong, you probably wouldn't blow up on them just like I did to myself. Next up, think about times when you feel bad about yourself and you're struggling. How do you typically respond yourself in these situations? Write down what you typically do. What do you say? 
And again, note the tone of your response to yourself. You've got two questions, two scenarios, and two answers. Did you notice a difference? You probably did. You're probably a lot kinder to that friend than you are to yourself. Let's talk about learning self-compassion. With any life skill, self-compassion is just that. It's a skill. It is possible for recovering alcoholics to learn how to be compassionate about themselves and others. Number one, move past mistakes, acknowledge them, and then let them go. Another thing is be patient. Wherever you are in life, you are where you're supposed to be right at this moment. Improvements and changes will come at the appointed time, so don't rush them. Another one, recovery is a process. It is a journey and not a destination. We've heard that a couple times on this podcast. Another way to learn self-compassion is don't improve, just grow. You may not need to improve because as a person, you already have tremendous value. Instead, you can grow, meaning you're learning new ways to positively deal with life. But the best way to practice and learn self-compassion is be cognizant and always be nice to yourself. Be your own best friend and treat yourself well. This includes speaking to yourself in a positive and loving manner. Okay, Recovery Elevator, enough out of me. Let's hear from Tori. Tori, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Tori, I'm great. Thank you very much for asking. Let's get right into this. Tori, how long have you been sober? In about 16 days. Well, congratulations on 16 days. And listeners, Tori reached out to me and sent me a, let's say, verbose email on July. A novel. 21st. Okay. It could have been more than a couple thousand words, but uh, I enjoyed (laughs) reading it. And I get a lot of these emails often, but something about you're stuck out. And it was the very first line. I'm just going to read this for those who are listening right now. Hey, Paul, my name is Tori and I'm still trying to figure out if I'm an alcoholic. And I'll stop right there. Tori, this one is up to you. Before I hit the record button, we both spoke how we don't like the word alcoholic, and I've done podcast episodes specifically on the fact that I'm breaking up with the word alcoholic. I think that's the defining label, a definitive factor that, boom, puts a period at the end of that sentence, and it doesn't really fit me. I don't like the word alcoholic, so I'm right there with you, Tori, but I I had to chuckle, Tori, because after that first sentence, it goes down and kind of maps out a timeline of your drinking career, and there is, yeah. there's some records. We talk about, we talk about DUIs, talk about doing things, you know, when, when, when we're drinking, then there's a sentence where, you know, when I start drinking, I can't control my drinking and I can't stop. And uh, your biological father drank himself to death, which I am so sorry to hear about. And, um, I, I just had to reach out to you and say, you know what, I got to get this girl on the podcast and I'm not going to lead you through some hoops and ropes and make you jump through some things to land at the conclusion. Like, Oh wow, Paul, you know what? I do have a problem with alcohol. I mean that you're the only person that can decide that. But, uh, I just wanted to chat more about that with you and thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And before we get any further, let's, uh, let's get a little back background about yourself, Tori, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living. How old are you? Do you have a family and what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, so I live in a town called Gainesville, Florida. Uh, we're home to the University of Florida. Go Gators. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to school there as well. So I've lived here since I was 10. <laughs> I cannot get rid of it, get away from this town. But yeah, so I graduated from college last year. I'm 24. My only fan, I mean, I have my, of course, my mom. And then um, obviously you had said that I don't, I don't have my biological dad. Um, I actually never had a relationship with him to begin with, but I did have my, if you want to call my stepdad, but I call my dad. He's been around since I was a year old. So, you know, mad props to him for putting up with me for 23 years. And then I have a brother and sister. And then I have, a, I'm a dog mom. 
So I'm a proud I'm a proud mom to a little Chihuahua named Tucker. Nice. He's yeah, he's he's great. He's currently eating on my couch because we just moved, and he he doesn't like new areas. And he's been around my parents who have three dogs, so I think he's kind of weirded out being the only dog. So. He currently doesn't eat unless I hold his dog bowl for him. So <laughs> oh, Tucker. That's, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a sales rep for a, a medical device company. We actually do larval therapies, so um, maggots. And um, there we have an FDA-approved product called BioBag, and it's for wound healing and debridement. Um, it's a really cool. It's a really cool product. Uh, we're still we're still a startup company. But a lot of hospitals around the country uh, country use us, and we're also established over in the UK and Germany. So it's it's pretty it's a really cool company. It's been a big learning experience. I've been there about six months now. Well, nice. And what do you like to do for fun? Well, I just moved into my apartment, so I've been crafting a lot and doing a lot of that stuff. You know, it's funny actually that you ask that because before, when people, I feel like especially when you're in your mid twenties, everyone likes to ask you, "What do you like to do for fun?" I don't know why, but that seems to be a very common question lately. And for a really long time, I couldn't really tell people what I like to do for fun other than hang out with my friends and go drinking with my friends, which, mm-hmm. you know, like that seemed to be all I did uh, on the weekends. That's what I would look forward to. And I think that's what kind of drew me into one you, Paul, with you talking about the whole you don't like the term alcoholic. So that kind of helped me. I think it kind of helped me not be so reluctant going into maybe I should stop drinking situation. So it was more, you know, I felt more connected in that way. So before, you know, before me stopping drinking, I literally all I did was, you know, drink. And so I couldn't really answer that question. But now, you know, I have my dog. And so I like, I like hanging out with him. He's 10 pounds. So he doesn't do the dog part or anything. He would crap his pants probably for him. <laughs> yeah. So I like the craft and, we have some really cool springs about 45 minutes away. So we like to go to the spring and there's actually a few springs that don't even allow alcohol. There's like one spring that's Jenny Springs and everyone brings alcohol and it's always a big party, but there's actually a lot that ban it. So I prefer going to those now because you don't feel so obligated to drink. But yeah, just things outdoors. I mean, it's Florida, so there's Disney world. I have a Disney pass, so I love Disney. Nice. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And so what was the, you know, was a deciding factor or what led you to A, listen to the podcast and B, decide one day to contact a host of a podcast about recovery and, and getting sober? I guess I'm asking you, maybe describe, was this a bottom moment or, you know, were you uh, you're just curious about your drinking habits? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it a bottom moment because I think my DUI was my bottom, the way I reacted to the officer the way I, you know, portrayed myself as a person when I got my DUI was definitely completely unacceptable. And I think that was probably my bottom, but that was November of 2015. So I kind of like, it's like I was slowly kind of trying to climb my way out. And actually, I really honestly wasn't even drunk with, well, I was drunk, I'm sorry, but I wasn't as drunk as I could have been. Sure. Um, we have a point two two, which is three times the legal limit, but... <laughs> I've even yeah. on my even on my DUI that I got in 2014, I was like, whoa, that, yeah, blue. I'm a, I got a DUI, but I could have been way more yeah. drunk. Yeah, and I've driven home probably way worse than that, and it's that's the scary thing. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there was even actually a podcast that you said like an average person drives like 86 times or something before they get caught. It's frightening, um, but it sounds about right. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely me. So mine was, you know, I was out with my friends. We were drinking, and actually one of my friends, she actually disappeared, and her her boyfriend ended up going to look for her, and then I actually ended up going to look for her as well. And then, you know, lo and behold, I end up in a bar where I know the bartenders really well, and so they're buying me shots. And so anyway, long story short, I take an Uber home, and that finds her. We're all good. I'm getting an Uber home. And then um, as I'm waiting for my Uber, the story is apparently some guy wanted to move his car, but I wouldn't move. I was just being a jerk. And I wouldn't move or something. I don't really know what happened, but I ended up thinking I was getting attacked by him, and I hit him. And then I got my Uber, and he followed me home and called the cops while he was following me, me home and was trying to press charges, and it was kind of a disaster. But ended up dropping the charges, which was great, but, you know, it still, still doesn't, you know, make me feel like less of a person. So, again, another, another time where I'm portraying somebody who I'm not, and sure. that's kind of, you know, that's not who I am. I'm not an aggressive person, and that stems from, you know, me being drunk, walking home one time and getting forced into somebody's car and getting sexually assaulted. And so I think me not being able to establish that was what triggered me hitting him, thinking he was attacking me when he really wasn't. He was just trying to move me so he could move his car. But, you know, when I was drunk, I thought of it as something different. So there's just been a lot of, you know, a big cluster of things over the past two years. That sure. There, ha- there have definitely. been flags and they could be red yeah. or they could be green. We don't yeah. know yet. And that's not for me to decide. But I got to give you props, Tori. You're, you're 24 years old. I'm 35, and when I was 24 years old, 11 years ago, I was an alcoholic. Again, don't like the word, but I was somebody who had a drinking problem who could not stop drinking after they had started. However, at that time, I was in complete denial, but it was clear looking back that I was somebody who could not control my alcohol, and I got to give you props. Um, You are doing your due diligence. You're listening to the podcast. You're you're emailing the the host of the podcast, you're doing an interview on a recovery podcast that's strictly <laughs> dedicated to getting sober. And you, I got to give you props. It's awesome. Uh, you know, whether you drink tomorrow or the next day or you have a long life of sobriety ahead of you, I don't know. That is that is up to you. But I got to give you props. I think it's uh, it, I think it's awesome. Um, but I, I want to talk about one sentence that you, you, I'm going to read the sentence and then we'll talk about that. In the last paragraph, you say, I don't drink every day. I don't crave it. I don't have withdrawals. What I do have is the inability to control myself when I do start drinking. Talk to me more about that. Yeah. So during the week, I mean, it's not even, honestly, it's not even like a strict, I know how you talk about making rules for yourself and that kind of stuff. It's not really like, it wasn't like a rule where, okay, I'm not drinking Sunday through Thursday, but it just kind of happened to be like that because I, I'm pretty, I like to stick pretty routine, especially during my work week, just because I, you know, I like to have my head on straight during during the work week and then during the weekend, you know, kind of let loose. So it would be, you know, I mean, I, I live in a college town. I live right by the, right by the stadium. We do tailgates. So it's, you know, just a big party town. And so the culture here is to drink and to binge drink. And so, you know, I feel like I've kind of grown up in that. I mean, I had a fake ID to 21 and up bars when I was 17. And mm-hmm. so... I've been going out. I mean, I've known some of these bartenders since I was 17 years old. It's almost eight years. So I've just gotten in that habit of constantly drinking, constantly having a drink in my hand when I'm out. When it's, you know, we'll go on a Saturday. We can take, for example, we'll start doing brunch. So brunch is what, 12 o'clock? So 
mimosas and then we're like okay let's go grab a couple drinks at mid okay we go to mid and we're drinking you know beers oh you know and then it's like we all kind of influence each other to drink more and more and more and then before we know it it's 2 a.m we're all super drunk I can't even count how many drinks I've had and I you know I've probably honestly blacked out by then so it's just and then, then I, you know, sometimes I'll end up doing stupid things. And when I say stupid things, it's not that I go and steal a sign from, you know, off of, you know, from the street. But I, you know, maybe I'll try to, like, text my ex-boyfriend or, you know, just do stupid things like that. And I've, like, I've done both do of those that? things, not the boyfriend part. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. Keep going. So it's just, it's just, you know, you do things that you wouldn't normally do in your right mind. And it's like, I'm not that kind of person. I'm you know, I'm a smart kid. I've, you know, I know, I, I know that I have so many things. It's like you wake up and you wonder what you did. And that's like, I'm so sick of feeling, did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? I'm so sick of feeling like I need to walk on eggshells around people. And especially, you know, my family, when I, I do, like my parents do tend to take things to the extreme, but I have given them every single reason in the book to worry about me. And so when it's affecting my mom, especially who barely cries I barely see my mom cry whenever she gets emotional about it it just breaks my heart you know as as annoyed as I can get when she's like you're an alcoholic you have a drinking problem you do this you do that you know as annoying as that can get and then whenever I see like the true emotion come out I feel really awful and you know nobody wants to upset their parents especially when they've done so much for me over the years and you know they they paid for my school they paid you know they've paid for so much they paid I still owe the money for my DUI like mm-hmm. I mean there's just things that they've done that you know now I'm showing them it's like I don't even appreciate it so I think that was the biggest thing so I really just started kind of like looking into podcasts and a lot of them were a li- really intense and yours I really liked because you were still really newly sober at that time I think you were you, you were like five or almost six months sober or something right around there mm-hmm. And something kind of just drew me into it, and a lot of a lot of things I, I did agree with you on. And you know, some of the stories, and I, I appreciate how almost every episode you're always like, "Don't compare yourself to <laughs> True. things you, that you, you have know, listened to the podcast." <laughs> yes, I, well, I definitely have. But it's like, don't compare yourself to those people, to the you know, to the things that don't you don't like that don't agree. I can't even talk right now. But compare yourself to the things that you know that have that I've seen in myself and so that's when you know I've listened to a couple podcasts too because I try to listen to them when I feel the most down or when I feel like oh it's fine I'm fine you know and that's when I really try to listen to them because they kind of you know get me a little more motivated to be like no like I don't like the person I am when I'm super drunk and if I can't go out to dinner and have one glass of wine then I'm not gonna I can't do it and so that's usually whenever I, I, I try to listen to your podcast and sometimes I'll be like well that's stupid because I haven't had a drug problem you know I never you know got into cocaine or I never you know shot up heroin and it's like but I did drink a lot and I have done really stupid things and you know what more mad props to the people that have been on your podcast that haven't even gotten in trouble and they still stop drinking it's like I sometimes like to listen to the things that don't have I don't have anything in common with and then I you know get myself back down so that was a really long-winded answer to your question. And I don't even no, know if I Tori, question. again, I got to give you props. <laughs> it seems like you're able to remove yourself from a situation and view your life and what's going on from an outside perspective, non-biased, and just look at it at face value. I mean, I'm reading your email, 
and you're calling yourself out and you're, and you're saying, oh, you know, I'm probably yeah. wrong here. This, this is something that I did. I am not happy about. And again, like I said, for a decade, I was in total denial that I was an alcoholic and I was, my view, my lens of it was completely distorted. And I got two questions for you. Number one, have you heard of Duran Duran? No, I haven't. God, I'm old. Next question is. What is it? <laughs> it's an it's an '80s you band. Told me now. <laughs> it's an '80s band. Oh. <laughs> okay, I don't know why I asked that question. I was thinking like Kevin Durant. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he's he's a basketball player, I think. Yeah, no, I know he is. Yeah, and, and so what yeah. has it been like these last 16 days, 16, 17 days? Um, is it is it like whoa, my life is so much better, or are, are things clear? Or what? Yeah, what has it been like for two and a half weeks of sobriety? You know, well, the majority of the two and a half weeks I've been working, so I'm usually pretty, I'm usually pretty occupied with work. I mean, I was just talking to you about how we have our CEO in town this week, and so I mean, I haven't even thought about alcohol. The move, I mean, that one week I was, you know, I was moving for a weekend, so I was like, well, I don't care about it then. My hardest, I would say, I guess probably the hardest day was two of my best friends came over and they brought wine, and they don't know that I haven't stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. And so, but I, I didn't drink and they didn't care. And I think that was like the best part. They weren't like, why aren't you drinking? And I thought that they, especially one of them who I love her to death, but sometimes she can, she's definitely the, I wouldn't call her an enabler, but she's definitely like, oh, you're not going to buy a drink. I'll buy one for you. You know, and it's, but she can handle her alcohol. Like she's, she can drink 10 beers and she's fine. And mm -hmm. so she doesn't understand why people sometimes get that drunk because she can hold her liquor. Yeah, and, and you mentioned this has, in your email, you know, and it's in. It, this is an issue with you, with a lot of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. And I was super, I was super worried about like if she'd have something to say about it or anything. And she didn't, she didn't say anything. And so it was kind of really like refreshing because it was just like, oh, okay, like that's great. All right, well, that was easy. I didn't have to do anything. And so I really still haven't even honestly said anything because of a point of conversation hasn't really had to be had about it because like I said, it's, you know, feeling the need to drink, getting that itch. It's more of like when I drink, I can't stop. So I really haven't had to feel like I've had that, have to have that conversation. But as, as far as like clarity goes and stuff like that, I don't really, I guess I haven't seen, I haven't had like that breakthrough of, wow, I'm so, it's so much clearer for me. It's so much, you know, I, I feel like I'm still in the same spot as I was when I emailed you. So it's like this, it's just kind of, I don't know, it, it almost feels like a limbo stage. Sure. It's well, kind of I, like I can you, tell you this about about your friend is is you're going to find out real quick who your, who your real friends are. And it sounds like your best friend yeah. when she didn't do anything. Oh, she found I wasn't drinking yeah. and she didn't run out the apartment and bust through the door. Uh, that's a friend. <laughs> yeah. You're going to find yeah. out real quick who your and real it, friends are. And it's it's this is a blessing because you're going to find out at age 24 yeah. instead of age 25, 6, 7, 8 or way down the road. Yeah, and it, it, she's actually, she just got engaged, and so, you know, we're doing, I'm going to be a bridesmaid, and we're, you know, we're doing all this stuff, and I'm in that stage of my life where all my friends are getting engaged. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, so many weddings, but but yeah, so that's what I was, honestly, I was so nervous about it. I was like, what if she cuts me out of the wedding? Like, I can't believe I was that worried about someone I consider my best friend. <laughs> No, that, you know, that, cutting me out of her wedding. That is your addiction talking. Well, Tori, we're probably yeah. going to get cut out of the wedding. We're no longer yeah. going to be Facebook friends, and they will have no friends in general. <laughs> so that is your addiction talking. And But reality yeah. it proved otherwise. And, and I think you'll exactly. see more common results just like that. Oh, you're not drinking, Tori? I don't care. That's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Now, now, Tori, I've just invented 
this this uh, you know alcoholic scale, shall we say, for lack of a better term. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope you email me years down the road and say, hey, Paul, I have two to three drinks a night. I stop when I want. You were way off. But let's just say negative uh-huh. 100 is like day one. That's your very first drink, right? And then 100 is you're in recovery. You are on that, uh, you know, prolonged 20 years, emotional sobriety. You're rocking it. I think you're at a negative six right now, right? Is in zero is day one of sobriety. And you've already got 16 days uh-huh. of sobriety, right? And so uh-huh. again, I'm just piecing this scale together. Very un, uh, you know, not a regulated scale. I'm not a professional, but I think you are doing <laughs> your due diligence, which is awesome. But I think you're going to have to experience a couple more things. You might drink again. I hope you don't, but that is up to you. And, you know, I think in six months, a year, it could be two years, you're going to be like, you know what, I am ready to quit drinking. But, again, I'm totally, I could be totally wrong. And I'd love to hear from you in, in a month or a year down the road. Be like, you know what, I just a phase, just a phase. Gainesville got me again. Yeah. And I'm the older I get, I'm just phasing out of that as well. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I honestly, I completely agree with you. Because I feel like, I, like I said, I'm in this limbo phase. And so it's like, it's... I haven't, it's it, like I said, I mean, I haven't completely written off alcohol. And I think that's my biggest fear is I really want to. And I think, again, this is like kind of one of those like red flags of like an alcoholic. It's just like, you know, I really want to write off alcohol because honestly, it's really done nothing good for me. It's put me in situations I have would never want my worst enemy to be put in. And it's been like, it's it's just one of those things. But at the same time, it makes me sad. And like, this is, you know, again, on your podcast, which is, I've been listening to it a lot lately is you take it one day at a time. And that's what I try to like ground myself at because I'll be like, you know, I can't imagine myself not, you know, we're going to this bridal expo on Sunday and we're taking, it's called the champagne bus. And I, you can't drink on the bus. I don't really know why it's called that probably because there's probably gonna be champagne there, but I think the bus driver's name is champagne probably. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Um, It's champagne butt, actually. (laughs) But it's just like, it's just one of those things. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, I can't imagine not drinking at, you know, my best friend's wedding. I can't imagine not, you know, not having a beer while tailgating. And it's just, I can see why you say I'm at a negative six because it might very well happen. I hope it doesn't. I really hope that I'm able to just, you know, enjoy myself and enjoy just being in the moment and being with my friends. You know, one of my best friends from Tampa is coming into town who I haven't seen in a few since actually my our other like there's three of us are kind of a little triangle. And since that one got engaged and she got engaged six and a half weeks ago. So I haven't seen her in a month and a half. And so it'd be, I just, you know, I really want to enjoy living in that moment. And I'm afraid that I'm going to get taken over and you know, have a glass of champagne because everybody else is. And I, I feel like stage I'm at in my life too, it's, you know, you're very influenced by the people you hang around with and I don't mm-hmm. want to completely cut off those friends either, but those friends drink a lot. And it's like, it's just, I'm in this weird phase and it's really hard for me to move past it, I guess. So I completely agree with you on that negative six. Well, your thoughts, they're not abnormal and yeah, they pertain to alcohol, but I think the average person in the population is like, I can't imagine when this happens. I can't imagine when I go for that job promotion. I can't imagine this. You know, you're thinking I can't imagine doing these things without alcohol, but we're all thinking way too far in the future, including myself. Yeah. And, and being sober, I'm constantly thinking, oh, I can't, I can't even imagine. I can't wait till this happens. 
But good news for you and I, Tori, is like those moments are really far away. Football season, tailgating, your first home game is September 13th. I have the game, I have the Florida Gators schedule memorized. Crazy, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, that, could be a, that could be a Tuesday. I have no idea. But how actually, cool. No, I was going to say it. It's actually, I don't think you're pretty close. You've almost put the nail on the head on that one. Yeah, that would have been crazy. But yeah. Um, but the thing is, is like, I can't imagine. Well, don't worry about it because it's six weeks away. And I'm talking to myself right now, and I'm talking to a lot of listeners, is we're all preoccupied. We have trepidation with things that are not even close to today and tomorrow. And But you're thinking it's totally normal. Your addiction is chirping loud in your voice and saying, hey, we're in the phase of our life when everybody's getting married. We've got bridal showers. we got wedding parties, all this stuff. How can I do this sober? Well, you're only going to take it one bridal shower at a time, you know, one wedding at a time, one conversation at a time. It's, it's kind of that simple. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do. I mean, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Good news is you don't have to know. Like- you don't have to know. Yeah. And that's that's totally yeah. fine. And I'm just going to ask some random questions because I'm interested to hear your answers with these. To this point, what have you lost to alcohol? A lot of my dignity. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all did. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it comes back, I think. Well, <laughs> I would hope a lot of it. Actually, you know what? I think you gain more dignity whenever you're sober because people are like, wow, you really came a long way. Um, True. I had one, I had one friend, or she's really she was a co-worker um, in college I served tables and she she was you know addicted to alcohol addicted to painkillers a lot of things and she ended up getting sober and thank god for my our partner at the restaurant I worked at you know he helped her do it which was you know great on his end and she actually ended up coming out way so much stronger than before I even knew her and when I first met her she was maybe like I mean maybe a week sober I mean maybe and so the seeing her and who she's become in the last some three years now three or four years yeah. like she's been she's amazing it's, it's so cool to see her because she was at such a low and it's you know a lot of people including myself I've you know I've been like well I've already gone this low I mean I can't go any lower I might as well just stay where I'm at you know instead of you know digging yourself out of the hole so mm-hmm. you know you become complacent so I hope I hope I can regain a lot of that dignity back if not more other things I've lost I've lost you know, trust in my, with my parents, you know, and I can build that up over time. And again, that's something that you can eventually build up. But, you know, I've lost my sense of safety. I've, you know, I've, when I was walking home and some random person who was still yet to be caught, took me into their car and completely took advantage of me. You know, it's, that was awful. I was oh, beaten man. up. I had a black eye, I had a fat lip. I terrible. thought I had a concussion. I mean, it was bad. And so, you know, I lose that sense. I, I still minorly freak out almost every day. Like, did I walk that door? <laughs> Developed a little bit of OCD over that. But so, yeah, I lost that. You know, I, I lost $1,700 today because that was my car insurance for six weeks, for six months. <laughs> uh... That was another thing I lost was a lot of money. Yeah, I just paid that today. That was really sad. That was, that was, that was, a, that was a definite loss. So financially, emotionally. So I got a story for you that is not, you don't want to hear this right now, but a couple months ago I called Geico asking them, Hey, just want to know when my DUI is going to come off my insurance. It's been almost three years and (laughs) hang on, Mr. Churchill. Actually, Mr. Churchill, we show you don't have a DUI, but we have notified, uh, but we've reached out to local law (gasps) enforcement and we're getting that information from them. I was like, no. Oh, no. 
Oh. Yeah, so my rates, it's, uh, the right rates are going to go up. I'm still paying for this. Oh, I am so sorry. Yeah, that sucks. But is not always the best policy. Paul. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but uh, they actually gave me a break. They're like, they're taking it off like a year early and not, not having, they're not okay. going to make me pay back stuff, but they're, they're like, yeah, it's a mistake. You guys, you're in Colorado, right? I'm in Montana. I'm from Colorado. Oh, Montana. You're in Montana, uh-huh. right? Do you guys have like an FR44? Is that like what they're, what they give you? I don't Just think like so. I've never heard of that. Want. Okay, it's some kind of form. That's what ours is. But go ahead. What were you gonna say? No, that's it. That's it. I, I'm insurance is gonna go that's up, but not awful. for as long as it was gonna have to be. And I didn't pay a lot of the extra, but that was their fault. So that's wow. fine. That's yeah. crazy. I'm so jealous. I wish I was lucked out. That. Well, you didn't luck out, but I guess for the three years you did. Yeah, but we. But hey, we, at least you know, you're not worried about getting a DUI anymore, right? So. I, I, you know what? I'm only not worried today, Tori. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow yeah. I could be riding in the back of the wagon and and doing a whole <laughs> thing again, but that's not the plan. I really hope not. I really hope not. I like your podcast. <laughs> yeah, like oh, that recovery elevator dude. He he went down hard. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> well, Tori, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I am. We just heard some rough memories from you, but what was your worst memory from drinking? I would say the DUI. I've drugged a lot of people in there that I didn't want to drag in, and it affected a lot more people than just me. And so I would probably say that was, well, the sexual assault, honestly, was probably the worst, worst, but I try not to. I try not to bring drinking in with that one because I, you know, I, especially for victims and people like that, you know, you always want to think it's your fault. So I try really not to associate drinking with that. However, I was walking home from a bar, but, but I would say completely drinking 100% my fault. Absolutely. The DUI. Gotcha. And we've all heard of the aha moment. Have you ever had an oh shit moment indicating, man, maybe I can't control my drinking. Oh, I've had many. I've, you know, every single time I do something dumb, it's like, why do I drink? Why do I do that? What is the point? I spent so much money. I spent, you know, now I've lost another, another notch of my dignity. So, but again, I think the GUI was kind of that aha, aha moment. And it's just, you know, it's like you build yourself up and then you bring yourself back down. It's 10 steps forward, sometimes 12 back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're on day 16. What's your plan? In sobriety moving forward, and Tori, I know you're in limbo. It doesn't matter if you have a plan or you don't. But yeah, what's your plan moving forward? Honestly, I think I think my plan right now is just what I've been doing has been working. However, I'm, you know, if I come to a day where it doesn't work anymore, you know, I guess I'll have to reassess that then. But as of right now, you know, I like listening to your podcast when I'm starting to feel really down or feeling, you know, just feeling alone because. You know, some of my friends, honestly, we probably all have a drinking problem, all of my friends. So let's, I mean, we probably, we probably all do. But, you know, try, trying to remember that, you know, I'm not the only one. And I really do enjoy listening to your podcast and maybe, you know, going home and taking my dog for a walk because I hate, I absolutely hate leaving my dog. I'm a complete psychopath when it comes. Like, if I'm at dinner for longer than an hour and a half, I'm like, okay, I have to get back to Tucker. Mm-hmm. See everyone later. So, so I try to remember, like, what's important to me. And that's just not drinking. I mean, at the end of the day, Midtown, going to Midtown and having a $2 double, it's not, it's grand scheme of things, but things like that's not going to make me a better person. So it's, you know, how do I become the best version of myself? 
God, is Midtown and Tijuana a two-dollar double? Where is Midtown? Oh, two-dollar double. Okay, so Midtown is right uh, conveniently, conveniently right across the street from our library on campus. And so, yeah, so we would pull all-nighters, and then you know I'd be studying until maybe three p.m. after not sleeping. And I would go to Midtown. Like, that was a thing. It was the thing that we did. It's literally right across the street. But it's dirt cheap to drink. $2 doubles. You know, there's always a drinking special Saturdays at one bar. It's called Beat the Clock. You start off with 25-cent pitchers. I mean, literally, it's hmm. dirt cheap. So, so I mean, and I mean, the whole point is to binge drink. And so, yeah, Midtown, Midtown is a special place. And Tori, this is the last question that I got. With 16 days of sobriety, you're you're walking a walk. You're doing this. What parting piece of guidance do you have to listeners who are thinking about getting sober? I would just say, um, especially people who are, you know, uh, my age and even people that aren't my age, you know, take it one day at a time, of course, and just kind of realize that you're better than your addiction and, you know, Realize, realize your self-worth and understand who you are, and then it, it can only get better because you have to be the one to want to make the change. You know, my parents can tell me they're disappointed all they want. It's just going to make me angry. And it'll make me sad in the beginning, of course, but it's just going to make me angry in the end and be like, you know what, screw them, who cares, whatever, and then, you know, continue continue to have your bad habits. So I would just say, you know, figure out, you know, find your self-worth because we all – we're all better than that. We all know that's not the kind of person that we actually are. You know, me kicking and screaming in the back of a police van and getting out of my handcuffs is not who I am. You know, I'm a college graduate who has a good job and who has a lot going for them, but a second DUI, you know, I travel for a living. I'm done after that. So realizing realizing you're better than that. And I think taking it, taking it one day at a time and, you know, listening to your podcast or ha- – listening to anything that makes you feel better, I think would be sometimes I just, I'm at work and I just have to like pop in my headphones and I'll listen to your podcast for an hour. It's just like, I have to work so crazy. I don't care. I just have to stop everything because if I don't, it's going to spiral out of control. And then I'm just going to look forward to the weekend that much more to where I can go to Midtown. So for me, that's hope. Well, thank you for listening, Tori. That means a lot to me. And last, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might keyword might, be an alcoholic if line. Okay, I have two because one does pertain to me and one does not pertain to me. Let's hear it. But you might be an you might be an alcoholic if this one is the one that doesn't pertain to me. I was actually walking my dog and there was a fraternity boy. You can just tell by the way they dress, passed out on a chair that was being being on set on the curb um, <laughs> to get picked up for trash, and he was passed out. I was walking my dog last week. So I like tapped him. It rained on him actually the night before. Oh. This time of year in Florida, it rains all the time, and it had rained, and so it rained on him. I touched him to make sure he was alive, and I'm like, "Are you okay?" He was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm totally fine." And fell back to sleep on the chair. And I took my dog for a good 30 minute walk. Came back, he was still sleeping. So you might be an alcoholic if you spend the night on a chair that is not yours in front of a house that you do not own or rent. Yeah, that's a great and one. Uh, <laughs> Let's hear the other one for yeah, sure. That was a good one. And then this one, I guess, might be a little more serious, but you might be an alcoholic if you choose not to take the advice of the people that care about you the most and you continue on with your bad habits. I guess that would be the more serious one that would pertain to me. 
Again, I give you props for being open to recognizing this stuff. And Tori, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I it's been my it. pleasure. Therapy. Yeah, well, you have a great night, Tori. Thank you. You too. In episode 131, I talk about Tara Brack's talk on addiction. She mentions in that talk that she hasn't met anybody who has made great strides in recovery who didn't profoundly address the self-loathing that us addicts do. So, recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. But be kind to yourself on that way back up. We can do this. 